I guess Feature Space didn't start with a specific business plan in mind going, here's a market and let's go out and, and dominate that market. It was much more around, we had some really interesting technology and, and what was the right way in which we could go about uh, applying that. You're listening to Leaders in Payments and Fintech, a podcast brought to you by Edgar Dunn & Company, the global payments and fintech consulting firm. Coming to you from the City of London, I'm your host, Martin Kodrish. And in this series, I'm meeting with leaders and practitioners across the industry to find out what it takes to bridge the gap between strategy and execution. My central question is, how can we commercialize and bring the benefits of ever deeper new technology to market in what continues to be a highly regulated industry? So do join me and please do subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or your podcast platform of choice. And do feel free to make contact and say hello. I welcome any questions, ideas, or suggestions Send me an email or reach out to me on LinkedIn and I look forward to hearing from you. So in today's episode, I'm speaking with Dave Excel, founder of British fintech company FeatureSpace. If you're in the payments and fintech industry, you most probably will have heard of FeatureSpace and its groundbreaking AI-driven approach to fraud detection and financial crime prevention. Today, Dave will share with us the journey of FeatureSpace from his Cambridge University PhD project to the commercialization of the technology and on to successfully establishing the company as a recognized world leader in financial crime prevention. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Dave Excel from FeatureSpace. Let's dive in. So, David, thanks very much for joining our podcast today. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastically. Thank you for having me on today. Perfect. Well, I'm so looking forward to getting into the conversation. Maybe just as an icebreaker, before we dive into the actual detail of, of FeatureSpace, maybe you can just give us a bit of a background on your personal journey, your background, and how you got involved in feature space. So I, I was born in the, in the capital of Australia, in, in Canberra, and had a fantastic sort of opportunity and teachers that really pushed me and expanded my horizon beyond, I guess, just what was possible within Australia and sort of the, the broader environment around us. And, and one of those great projects that I was involved in, we spent many weekends underneath the basement of the public library near near the school. And we built a solar car that was like the shape of the wing of an airplane and were able to, to race that in Japan. And that really introduced me into the possibilities of innovation and being able to take that onto a global scale and really move that forward. And also just the dedication that it takes to not just work nine to five, but often long hours and into the weekend to be able to achieve that. So that was a, a fantastic experience that I was exposed to before I got to university. And then I was able to study at the Australian National University to do a engineering and an IT degree, which really then sort of continued my interest in terms of applications of technology into real world problems. And then I guess that the feature space journey started to start as I was unfortunate to be able to be accepted to the PhD program at the Uni University of Cambridge in the engineering department. And, and from there, being able to secure some scholarships to be able to, to fund that study as well. Fantastic. Very interesting uh, background. So perhaps you can just provide us a very high level introduction to feature space itself. What feature space does is we, we effectively prevent fraud and identify financial crime. So we work with many regulated entities around the world, so banks and credit unions and also payment processes. So we integrate our technology often as part of the transactional flow within those different institutions. And then we use machine learning to be able to identify when fraud is taking place and either be able to prevent the transaction from happening or to alert that within the institution for further investigation. Okay, very interesting. So 
So I understand it was born out of academia, you know, your work at, at Cambridge. And I understand also there was a, you, you as a co-founder, along with your professor at the time, who unfortunately has passed away, I, I believe, Professor Bill Fitzgerald. Perhaps you could just tell me a bit more about that period and that time at Cambridge and Bill's vision for, for Feature Space and how things got started. No, see, so yeah, Bill was my supervisor for my PhD, and he had a, a background in physics and a lot of work in terms of interpreting experimental results back to the underlying theories that sort of underlined the experiments that were taking place. So that took him into the world of statistics and understanding uncertainty, which is a lot of the work that then Bill continued on as he moved from physics into engineering effectively around how could we start to take measurements around the real world and how can we infer the sort of underlying systems that are starting to, to generate that data. And when I came across to start my PhD, what I was really interested in was the application and understanding of human behavior and how could we align that to different statistical processes and into the world that we now talk about more freely today in terms of machine learning and artificial intelligence as sort of central to a lot of different sort of innovation and technology that's taking place. So I guess we have a, a vision to, to make the world a safer place to be able to transact and really being able to take that technology and really use it for good around the world to be able to minimize the amount of financial crime and fraud that's taking place. So in terms of the technology itself, just again, without getting into too much of the detail, but, but just can you just sum up what's so special or unique about your approach, your technology and perhaps also how it differs from, from other approaches out there. No, definitely. And I think a lot of the historic systems that we use to identify fraud were really recapturing the same fraud that had been identified before. So they were trained effectively to identify the patterns of how did fraud happen like over the, the last sort of 12, 18 months. But what we often see is fraud continues to evolve very quickly. And so you're often in a like cat and mouse game of trying to catch the new types of fraud that's taking place. And one of the things that I guess we learned very early on was, well, there's many more genuine customers out there and genuine customers give us a lot more data to be able to learn from. So why don't we learn what is the expected or genuine activity that we, that we want to enable customers to do? So we focus on our models in terms of learning what is good activity and then look for anomalies and changes from that activity to identify new types of fraud that are taking place. So we're then able to incorporate those learnings into our machine learning systems. And then I guess it moves just from a desk-based activity to then how do you start to deliver those machine learning systems at scale so that they can make decisions in milliseconds to be able to prevent that fraud when you're using your credit card to purchase something online or, or at a store, or also move money from one bank, bank account to another. It's, it's kind of real, it works in real time, is it the system? Exactly. So when you're making a payment, often our system will be involved in that process to decide whether or not that payment should be successful or not. Interesting. All right. So let's have segue onto the journey the, that you've gone on from, from out of academia into the big world of, of commerce. I'm really interested to understand or, or learn how you made that journey, you know, that transition from academic spin out to a commercially viable business. I mean, how did you manage to combine that world-class technology and then add on the sort of business credibility, which I suppose your customers would be looking for? 
Um, so I guess one of those ways was that we worked very closely with our customers to really understand what their true need was, what were the outcomes that they were looking to accomplish. I guess Feature Space didn't start with a specific business plan in mind going, here's a market and let's go out and, and dominate that market. It was much more around we had some really interesting technology and, and what was the right way in which we could go about uh, applying that. So some of our early customers were in the online gaming and gambling space, and that's where we started to understand the different types of fraud that could take place in those environments. And it was a great place for us to be able to learn and also to see how do we take those underlying concepts from a, a machine learning and an algorithm perspective and build up all the infrastructure that's needed to support those into another commercial organization that end up, ends up being your customer and, and sees the software as being a, a critical component of their operation as well. So a lot of the other departments and services that we needed to be able to provide to those customers. So then we've been on a, like a significant growth trajectory from there moving from the online gaming space into regulated financial services, also transitioning from just being a mainly a UK based and sort of focused business to now working internationally and also changes in technology. Early days, a lot of our technology was deployed within our customers' environment to today where a majority of our customers are asking for us to host that solution on their behalf. And so, and like you say, you've gone through a sort of a fairly significant growth stage. How do you go forward in creating that demand? I mean, I think I think some of the customers obviously recognize there is an issue they need to address at some point, but it's actually getting them to, you know, put put the budget in place now and 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 prioritize that project. How do you go about creating that immediacy within your customers? Um, so one is around a proof point. So when we're looking at fraud is a an, an area that unfortunately continues to get worse. So enabling proof points in terms of showing the results that we're able to deliver for those customers, being able to deploy the technology and, and products quickly into those environments, but also being a, a great company to work with. We've been able to maintain an MPS of around 50, which is sort of very unusual for the, start, the type of business that we are sort of selling enterprise software to other organizations. So being being a very like strong partner with those organizations has been really like critical to to our growth. And also working with a number of sort of our partners in the ecosystem. So we have like fantastic relationships with organizations like TSIS and WorldPay that have integrated our technology into their products and services, which has really enabled our, our go-to-market and, and the ability to scale out the, the technology. And which of the markets that you're focusing on or prioritizing globally, where do you see the growth coming from in the next sort of phase? So I, I guess fraud continues to grow. And I guess one key thing that I've continued to learn is focus is really important. So we're going to continue to, to maintain on that. North America is probably the largest market. So that's where we're seeing a lot of our growth coming from. But we continue to look at, at different regions around the world and sort of see where those opportunities are. There's also been a, a rapid increase in scams, I guess, predominantly in, in the UK. But the UK often sort of leads both in terms of financial technology, but the fraud that also happens. So we're able to take a lot of the learnings that we, we've experienced with our UK and European-based businesses and bring those learnings across to our US customers as well. Well, on the book of the UK, how important do, you, do, you, do your Cambridge roots, how important are they today still? Or, or to what extent does that Cambridge seal of approval still relevant or work in the US or globally, in fact? Well, I guess first you often have to clarify which Cambridge, because sometimes it's Cambridge, Massachusetts, so which initially comes to mind for the US audience. 
But no, I think it's really critical. Like it was central to the story of feature space and and how we evolve. We have a, a n- number of extremely bright people that we've been able to to hire from the from Cambridge University and sort of have as part of the team. And it really fuels our ability to innovate. I guess, as I said before, fraud continues to change. There's lots of sort of different regulatory requirements around machine learning and explainability which are really important for us to be able to to improve our solution and our product. And also we've been able to start a a series that we call the Cambridge Session. So we've been able to invite some of the brightest minds in the industry and bring them to Cambridge and sort of bring a, a group of people together to discuss some of these challenges. And I guess finally, it's somewhere where people want to visit. So it's a great time opportunity. So when we're working with those customers to be able to do workshops and bring them to Cambridge and and show them around. You were mentioning strong partnership as part of the the principle of working with your your customers. Does that, and I also understand that you're still heavily investing in R&D. Does the part, do you do sort of like co-development work with your partners or how much of the R&D is done in partnership with your your customers or as, as, as part of your own? roadmap and and i suppose you know what what are the latest developments on that roadmap no well our customers are, are always asking us and and sort of sharing the insights around the challenges that they see day to day which really then drives our roadmap in terms of well how do we start to help them stay ahead of the the fraudsters and and financial crime that's taking place. And one of those was recently we were awarded funding from both the UK and US government around privacy enhancing technology. So how can we look at data across different institutions and being able to, to build machine learning systems while still maintaining the privacy of that data? So that's one way in which we continue to innovate where fraudsters are often able to, to share data without the same regulatory constraints that a, a bank and a financial institution may have. So how do we use technology to make sure that it's it's a fair environment for us to be able to prevent that fraud where the, the criminals don't play by the, the same rules? And so my final question, my list of 10, David, actually, is around the sort of you know topic of the economic downturn. We're obviously heading into a recession globally, perhaps more so in some markets than others. But um, you know, how, how are you as a company looking at this? What have you noticed so far and what adjustments are you making? And what's the balance between risk and possible opportunities that you see coming out of this recessionary period? Yeah, and I guess the recessionary period is potentially sort of an unusual re- recessionary period that we're sort of entering into. So very lots of uncertainties into it. But usually what we do see during a recession is that that increased stress sometimes drives more fraudulent activity. So we really want to be able to strengthen our customers to make sure that they're they're ahead of that. And I also think where we see a lot of our customers and, and prospects as well looking to do more with their existing budget. So being able to have a higher accuracy and being able to prevent that fraud, being able to put their existing teams and resources to, to better use is really what we're able to provide to those customers. So I think there's lots of sort of opportunity there to be able to work with our customers through this period and make sure that they're able to maintain the same levels of of customer services, if not better levels of customer service out there as well. I do actually have one final question. Just, you know, the longer term prospects or plan for feature space, what can we expect from the company over the next five years, perhaps even beyond that? So that's a, a, a great question. So I think a lot of it goes to, we see a lot of regulatory change within financial services. Definitely 
here within the US, there's been a, a big shift in terms of more real-time payments. And so a lot of demand for that technology, although maybe sort of common day in the UK is relatively new here. And I also think there's a, a lot around how to, how to enable different financial institutions to, to work together. So how do they collaborate? How can they use technology to do that more effectively? And then I think there's lots of interesting opportunities through lots of innovation in terms of explainability. How do we really under, how do we really unlock the true power of machine learning and AI to, to prevent crime and stop the fraud from taking place? Well, thank you, Dave. It's been a pleasure speaking to you today. Just to just perhaps let the listeners know how they can best contact you. LinkedIn would be the best um, way to be able to get hold of me. So I think we'll be able to include that link in as part of this podcast. Well, thank you very much again and um, have a great remainder of your day. All right. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure to be on. Thanks for listening and I hope you enjoyed today's episode. To hear more interviews, please do subscribe on Apple, Spotify or your podcast platform of choice. It helps and means a lot. Also, I welcome any questions, ideas or suggestions. So feel free to make contact and say hello. Reach out to me on LinkedIn or at edgardunn.com. You can send me a message there or you can email me on martin.coderish at edgardunn.com. I look forward to hearing from you and I will see you next time.